0: All right. And hey, good morning to you. Boy, are we glad that you are here. And what a great time in worship this morning. I just am so grateful um, for our team. Amen. Come on. Come on. Come on. It's not time to clap for them. I'm telling you what. There's one guy on the stage that's paid to be here. And that's Trey. Everybody else is volunteers. They show up um, for practice. They give their all. They give their hearts. And we are so stinking blessed. We really are. And I'm so grateful. And again, I'm the guy who knows what I'm fixing to say and what I'm going to talk about in the scriptures. And I see these songs that Trey has picked out. And I, you know, it's just wonderful. It just really is. It just fills me up because I know it's preparing you um, to receive the word of God. Hey, listen, I just want to take just a moment and give the pastoral push um, for Operation Christmas Child. I just want you to know I totally, 100% believe this is one of the greatest things that um, our church can do. It really is. When I think, when I think, there's a child is one day going to get a box and they're going to open it up, and inside it's going to be some gifts um, from from people like me and you. But in there is also going to be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is simply amazing. It's amazing, and this is something that we all can be a part of. Um, and and again, you can be a, a perhaps the change agent that God uses through the Holy Spirit in a child's life somewhere in this world. So I want to encourage you to be a part. And what I really love about this, uh, there's many things I love about this, but one is this, that, you know, uh, if I understand it correctly, when, when the kids are, are, you know, in the village are, are told, all they're told is there's an event. They don't know they're going to get a box. They don't know there's presents. They're not trying to bribe the kids about Jesus. They simply said there's an event and they come. And then imagine the surprise when they find out there is a gift. And many find out there's a greater gift. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As I was singing these songs today, I'm saying, I said, God, God, I want some kids to be able one day sing these songs, sing these songs, because they know Jesus because they know Jesus, they've discovered the greatest gift ever. So be a part. Be a part, um, you know, do what you can to be a part of Operation Christmas Child. You know, the boxes is going to be up here uh, in the, in, for the next week or two. Come back and get some more, but do this. Every person in Doorsville be a part of something big, something bigger than you can ever, ever imagine. And I love the fact that they go through the local church. And you said a thousand churches have been planted. How incredible is that? I mean, this thing, this thing is like a gospel explosion. Um, that occurs, and we get to be um, a part of it. So I hope you'll join in. I hope you'll be a part of OCC. Like I like to say it's just a great opportunity for the Kingdom of God. Well, here we are in week number two of our new series, um, "The Greatest Showman reimagined. Movie came out in 2017, I believe it was. Great movie, really enjoyed it. But the but the the uh, music was what so, was so captivating. And of course, the song today was Come Alive. And kind of the background of the song is, you know, P.T. Barnum goes out and gets all these misfits, these broken people, the castaways. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus did? He went out into society and picked the misfits that no one wanted, no one had time for, and invites them into the kingdom of God. Well, P.T. Barnum invites them out of that broken and dark world and invites them literally to come alive, to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and that really is the picture of the gospel. The original sermon title, and you would have seen that in the video, was simply come alive. But then I got this idea. Um, I got a devotion one day last week, uh, and I was reading it, and I said, oh my goodness, this would be a great introduction for the sermon, because we want to talk about the gospel, and the cool thing about the gospel, you know, you know Jesus, you know, God says, it's an all skate. You guys all come uh, to the gospel. You're all invited to receive, but some say yes, and some say no, and that's sometimes a mystery. Well, this is a really curious thing, this guy named George Wilson. Um, this, in 1830, he was convicted of robbing a post office and um, he was young uh, about 24 I think um, anyway in 1830 and so yeah the and the and it carried a death sentence I mean you know if you robbed a post office and so he was convicted and he was sentenced and um, somehow Andrew Jackson the um, president heard about that and he decided that he would grant a pardon to George Wilson and so George Wilson gets the word, and he refuses the pardon. And lost in history is the reason why. Um, was he, you know, I'm assuming just because you're pardoned from the death sentence, that means you're pardoned from prison? Did the thought of him spending the rest of his life in prison uh, dissuade him? Uh, was he had, did he have a thing with pardons, you know? Some people have a thing with God. Did, did he have a thing with pardons, you know? That whatever the reason, he rejected this pardon. And so it went to the Supreme Court um, because they wanted to more or less force George to receive this pardon. And so John Marshall was the chief justice, and I'm going to read to you what he wrote because it's so appropriate for the gospel of Jesus Christ accepting and reject, or rejecting that. Here's what John Marshall said. A pardon refused is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined By the acceptance of the person being pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. Let me react to you again. A pardon refused is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person being pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. But I'm telling you, the gospel is the greatest news ever. But if it is rejected, it could be the worst news ever. Because it means an eternity separated from God in a real place. You don't hear this anymore. A real place called hell. Um, People say, well, is hell real? Yes, it is. Is heaven real? Yes, it is. Is Satan real? Yes, he is. Is God real? Yes, he is too. And so I want to give you the opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and give you the opportunity To say yes or no. Now, it's interesting because our scripture today is in in Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, it's written to the church at Ephesus, and so it's written like in past tense, like this was you, and now it's not. So, today we're going to look at it that way, but also I want you to understand if you're here today and for whatever reason had a bad preaching experience, had a bad church experience, everybody knows the church is nothing but hypocrites, for whatever reason you're George Wilson and, and you've said no to the pardon so far, well, I'm hoping today, I'm hoping today you will say yes to the pardon. Now, there's a, a, a term called dead men or dead man walking. Um, it, it's, it carries the idea, and it's true from really probably 30s, 40s, 50s, in that time period mainly. But dead man walking was someone condemned to death and walking toward the place of execution. So they would have the last meal the night before. They would get him early in the morning, usually. And they would walk him to the place where he was to die. And normally, if the prisoners saw him, they would shout out, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! It was such a statement. Even though he was still breathing, the destination meant death. And so it was so difficult. Dead man walking. And and what a, what hopelessness! Unless... Someone who can chooses to intervene. And unless, as we heard from George Wilson, that person chooses to receive the pardon. Well, believe it or not, that's our story. That's our story. And the pardon has been made possible. I hear every once in a while someone say, you know, this, this Christian thing is so narrow." And it is because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I love to say it's narrow, but it's broad. It's narrow in the sense that Jesus correctly and boldly said, I am the way to the Father. It's broad, though, because everybody's invited. Everybody's invited to the party. Everybody's invited to the table. Um, everybody It's a free skate that God says, whosoever will or can be saved will be saved. If we simply say yes to him. So if you're here today, I want you to know something. That you're invited to the family of God. But like George Wilson, you can accept or reject the pardon that God offers um, today. So, believe it or not, it is our story and the pardon has been granted. But the question is, will we receive it? Will we receive it? And the choice, the choice is ours. Again, our scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, going through 1 through 8. And again, it's a great, powerful scripture that explains our spiritual condition and what God chose to do about that. Now, dead man walking back in Jesus' day had many connotations, but two come to mind. Um, one is that of leprosy, that, that when a person received leprosy, it was always a terminal deal. It, it was, it was, you're, headed, you're walking toward death, you just didn't know how long it was going to take. And so when, when you had leprosy, you had to declare unclean, unclean, so people could avoid you, and eventually, eventually you were going to die. Certainly Calvary, certainly Calvary was a dead man walking. You know, Rome was so good at what they did in killing people. And one day they pronounced sentence on Jesus, and he became a dead man walking. He headed up Calvary's cross, up to Calvary's Hill, and died on a Roman cross. I mean, Romans were good. Mm. Mm. Romans were good. No one left a crucifixion alive. You are going to die. And Jesus knew, and we're going to talk about that today, but Jesus knew as he walked up that hill that the whole point of the deal, from, from before eternity, even you know, way back before eternity, well, there's no start to eternity, but as far as you can go back in eternity and eternity forward, it was a destiny that he had. That because of love, He would die on a Roman cross. So, we're we're dead men walking right now. Once, Paul said, now again, he's speaking to the church, okay? Once, you were dead. And the truth is, every person, well, we're born dead. We're we're born separated from God. You You know, we weren't, it wasn't like we went wrong. We were born wrong. You know, people say, well, my life just went awry. No, no, you were born wrong. You were, you were born a sinner by nature, okay? And then ultimately you became a sinner by choice. We were joint, we were born separated from God. So once you were dead, and this is the choice part, because of your disobedience. Because and and your many sins. Now, I need to be clear here. Uh, make sure you understand. You say, well, Dwayne, you don't understand. I am really good. I am so good. I mean, I have like maybe one or two or three sin. I may sin once a month. You know, I'm remember the once a month club of sin, you know? That matter. By our nature and by our choices and by our sin, one sin's enough to separate you from a holy God. And I know, I know, you're saying, what is the big deal with sin? And the big deal is that, see, we don't understand God's holiness, so we can't understand sin. See, God is so beyond, so holy, all right, that, that he totally avoids, must stay out of the presence of sin. If we don't understand our sin, we have a hard time understanding the holiness of God. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, we really have a difficult time understanding our sin. But Paul says once, once we were dead because of our sin and disobedience. And then our teaching point says this, you know, we are born dead. I know that sounds weird. We are born dead. I'm certainly not trying to be crash, but we were born separated from God. We were born, and the reason why is our sin. Not because our nationality or our skin color, or our economic status, or how well we kept the rules. We were born because of our sins separated from God. Our only hope, our only hope it's God's grace. Our only hope is God's grace. You know, you know, grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That's when God chooses to give us something we don't deserve. It's when God chooses to give us something we don't deserve. And in this case, it's forgiveness and eternal life. And it happens by our faith, not just faith, but faith in Jesus, who he is, and what he did. Who he is, the son of God, uh, God in the flesh, God incarnate, born in a, a manger and nailed to a cross. And what he did was take our place and bear the wrath of God on that cross for us. Now, here's the deal. Reject him, not religion, not church, not fail to keep the rules. Reject him and choose the world, its values and customs and leaders, Satan. And we are truly dead men walking. The only hope that you have of spending the eternity, and again, yeah, know, I know you're saying, well, I don't even believe in God. It doesn't change the fact He exists. You said, Dwayne, I think I'm like a dog. You know, the dog dies, you put him in a hole. End of story. That doesn't change the fact there is an eternity. I mean, you can be wrong on a lot of things. You can choose to eat something really bad and be really sorry later. You can choose to career decisions go You You pick the wrong spouse and that goes really south. Okay, but this is one you don't want to miss. Miss miss on this one. Miss on, like George Wilson, miss miss on the decision about what you think about God and what God thinks about you. Miss about your sin. Miss about eternity. And boy, it's a big decision. It's the eternal wrong decision. We become truly dead men walking. Dead men walking. Verse number two says this. Now, again, see, mine, Paul's writing to the church. You know, you used to sin. Now, now, church, y'all need to remember that, because y'all, y'all get all mad at the world because they don't get this. You, see, y'all forget what God saved you from. See, we, when we, first off, when we trust Jesus, we're not perfect. Have you figured that out? Have you been to a Baptist business meeting recently? Have you read about the Southern Baptist Convention recently? Okay, so, so we're still sinners, we're just forgiven sinners, okay, but we need to remember, you know, we used to live in sin, it was a way of life for us, and your neighbor that you're trying to win to Christ, or your neighbor you know, and they don't understand, or maybe you're here today, and you, you Christians don't understand, I'm just doing what seems to come naturally, and you're absolutely right, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. You know, the Bible says all will have sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, just like the rest of the world. You're obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. This is so huge, so huge. You know, Satan really likes it. Did you all know Satan likes Halloween? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Well, there's probably more than one reason. And I'm not anti-Halloween necessarily. That's what this is about. I'm just telling you, Satan loves it because, generally speaking, that's the time of the year when we magnify and make him a little funny guy with a red suit and with little horns and a fork tail and a pitchfork. He likes that because it keeps our eyes off the fact that he is the enemy of God. He is the, your enemy as a follower of Jesus Christ. Truth is, Satan is real, and Satan is not a guy with a red suit and horns and a pitchfork and, and, and a pitch tail, a pointed tail. He is the enemy of God. He is the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Okay, and if you want to know where where all this craziness comes out in the world, it comes from the commander. Of the powers of the world. In fact, Paul goes on and says this, you know, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Do you want to know where evil comes from? I mean, you you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know there's a lot of evil in the world. What was it? Shooting in Maine, was it 16 people? What's next? Who knows? The drugs addiction, the porn addiction, the gender confusion, all these crazy, crazy, crazy things going on in the world. Where is this coming from, you say? He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The evil in the world isn't from a God who chooses not to act in the way we think he should. It comes from a creature, a created creature named Satan, who does act just like we would expect him to. Evil in the world. Evil in the world. Verse 3. All of us. Somebody say, All of us. Now, you really need, excuse, you really need to get this. All of us. Because I'm telling you, once we've been in church a while and we've been Jesus fied a little while, we get just a little stuffy and proud of ourselves. We forget what God saved us from, okay? All of us used to live that way. All of us used to allow the influence of Satan. All of us let him influence our decisions. All of us listen to the commander. Of the prince of the power of the air. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Again, the lost person the, person, the person who's not yet chosen to follow Jesus will act like a person who's not yet followed Jesus. That's why whoever walks through that door, no matter how many piercings or tattoos or clothes they have, or where their economic or social status is, they've got to find a home here. They've got to find a place where they can come and hear the gospel of the, Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this place is all about. It's not so we can feel good about ourselves. It's that we can be gospel sharers, our gospel lighthouse to a world out there who desperately needs it, desperately needs it. All of us just live that way. Following the passionate desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. You know, James wrote about this in James chapter 1. He was the half-brother of Jesus. In James chapter 1, and again, he's writing to Christians, but it's the same way. It's the same. It happens after we're saved, and it happens before we're saved. You know, he said in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each is tempted. Here's how it happens. But each is tempted when he's drawn away from, by his own desires and enticed. You know, most of the people that end up like in affairs. They didn't wake up one day and say, I think oh, I'll have an affair. They were drawn away and enticed by their own desires. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's what Paul is saying. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. If you're here today and and you're, you're here and maybe perhaps something happened in your marriage or something happened in your life, you're going, man, I need to get to church. Well, thank you for coming today. And you might wonder how you made that bad decision. Maybe you're a Christian and you're wondering, how did I make that bad decision? Well, you, you followed the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. How did I end up on that website? How did I end up with that needle in my arm? How did I end up stealing those drugs or doing those drugs? How did that happen? Oh, you followed the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. And then he says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. That's why when, you know, when we sing these songs sometimes, whether it's an old one like you like or in something kind of new, you know, just just think about what the words are saying. You know, we were subject to the very nature. Our sinful nature subjected us to the wrath of God. I don't know how you describe the wrath of God. I I, I can't... I can't put it to words, but I know before Christ, every one of us—those of us who know Jesus—you know, before Jesus, we were subject to the wrath of God. If you're here today and you never trusted Jesus, you're subject to the wrath of God. Well, Dwayne, what does that look like? I can't tell you exactly, but I can point to this. See, this was bad. This was hard. It's hard. The nails through the wrists and to the feet, the, th- the thrust of the sword in the side, the crown of thorns, your skin stripped away by a cat of nine tails to the flesh is gone. This is hard. And Jesus, being fully human, felt every ounce of pain. But you know what the hardest was? On Him. We're going to read it in just a moment. On Him the entire sins of the world was laid. And on him, the wrath of God was poured out. The wrath of God was so difficult in the Garden of Eden. That's a good Garden of Eden. Garden of Gethsemane. He falls down. He says, look, guys, I need for you to pray for me because I am almost to the point of death. And he falls on his face. And I can just see, I read Max Lucato one day described this. how, the, how his. How his How his fingers dug into the dirt, dirt underneath his fingernails. And he's crying out, God, if there's any way, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, please. But not my will, but thy will. And maybe to some degree, he may have been talking about the nails. He may have been talking about the spear. He may have been talking about the scourging. He may have been talking about the crown of thorns. But he was talking, in fact, that every sin of you and I and every person's world was poured on him. And then, in an appeasement to God's wrath, God's wrath was poured on him so it wasn't poured out on us. How amazing is that? That he took our place. By our very nature, Paul said that's what we deserved, just like everyone. That That little child out there who may have one shot to hear the gospel. Not every kid in the village can be invited. We pray there'll be another, somebody will get saved and share. But that little child out there, by their nature, is subject to God's wrath. And God don't want to pour out His wrath. He wants to pour out His grace. He wants to pour out His love. And that happens through this. When the child gets to hear the gospel message for the first time, and if somebody explains it, and then they go through the discipleship program, and they're these are not blind decisions. These are, these are educated decisions these children and adults are making for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this is important, and that's why what we do here is so important. We've got to, we've got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, Packer says this. God's wrath is his righteousness. Again, we just can't imagine how righteous. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about God's holiness, and one of the definitions of holiness is beyond. It's just somewhere beyond. It's beyond our understanding. Remember in Isaiah fifty-five ten, 10, where as the heavens are high above the earth, so my ways are your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts, what God said. God's wrath and His righteousness is His righteousness reacting against unrighteousness. He's just not a mean old God. Mean old, gods, mean old gods don't nail their son to Roman crosses for a sin they didn't commit. See, I know you've been told that God doesn't exist or God's mean or, or, you know, it's just a religious thing. Mean old gods don't nail their sons to a cross for the sins of others. And that explains verse 4 and 5. Look at this. After all of that. We're subject to the wrath of God. Jesus goes to the cross, and the wrath of God is poured out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's all poured out on him. After all of that, Paul says this, but God. See, whenever we see the the word but connected with God in, in the Bible, it's like an intervention. It's an intervention. It's like God saying, hitting the pause button. You know, like in Romans 5.8, but God, but God demonstrated his love to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, but God. The wages of sin is death, Paul wrote in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How amazing. How amazing. Hey, George, I wish somebody told you about this. And I'm going to tell you today how amazing this is. But God, look, but God is so rich in mercy. So rich in mercy. Mercy is kind of like God's unmarried kindness. And Paul writes and says, you know, it's, He's so rich in this unmerited kindness. We don't deserve the kindness. It's just something he gives us. He extends to us. God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. You know, it's an old saying. It's archaic now. But, you know, how much did Jesus love us? And he stretched out his hands. And he died. It's archaic. Was the truth if you ever want to know how much did jesus love us enough to go to a roman cross enough to bear your sin on him and the sins of every person ever lived and every sin enough so that he would endure the wrath of god being poured out on him that's how much he loved how much did god love for god so loved the world That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead, even though we were separated from him because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. See, we can't toot horns. We can't toot horns. We gotta remember that. When your friends out there and you want to share Jesus with, them, just remember you cannot be up on some holier than thou throne. You gotta get down. Jesus, I love Jesus. Got down. Why does your Why is your Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Because He loved them. May it be said of Doorsville that Doorsville loves sinners. That Doorsville loves lost people that are struggling to find their way home. He gave his life because he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by grace. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 and then 2a, that's in your notes, and then 9. You know, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, not church, not religion, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's amazingly powerful. And our teaching point says it this way. You know, one of the greatest displays of mercy is what I've already shared with you. One of the greatest displays of mercy was when God poured out his wrath on his son so that he wouldn't have to pour it out on us. Wow. Wow. Now, if you're here and you're like wondering about God, I understand you had your belly full of religion. I got that. You've had your belly full of hypocrites. I got that. But what about God? Who loves you so much he sent his son. What about a God who poured his wrath out on Jesus so he wouldn't have to pour it out on you? How about a God who invites you to be part of his family? What about a God who invites you to spend eternity with him in heaven and not separate from him in hell? What about that God? What about that God? John chapter 2, 1 John 2, 2 says, you know, he is the... I figured y'all needed one big religious word today. So I'll give you one. Uh, he is the propitiation. He the, he's the atonement. He's the appeasement. He, he's the price for our sin. He is the propitiation, the payment for our sins. And not for ours only. John says, but for the sins of the whole world. Every man, woman, and child who ever breathed, Jesus paid the price for their sins. How amazing is that? that last song we sang had these words in it till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live Keith Getty. two more scriptures verse six for he raised us from the dead Spiritually dead, he makes us alive. For we were raised from the dead along with Christ and seated us. Now, do you see something there? I'm going to blow your mind. I feel you need your mind blown. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Do you see that word seated as past tense? Germany, 1978. There was a missionary and his wife who smuggled Bibles back behind the Iron Curtain in an RV. And one day she's sitting at the piano, and I'm a young deacon, 24 years old, perhaps. And she read this verse to me. And she said, Dwayne, do you know what that means? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, no, you don't. And she explained it to me. That means when he raised us from the dead, along with Christ, he seated us. means this. That that we are so secure in Christ. Oh, you're all wound up about can I lose my salvation? We are so secure in Christ that God has seated us in His mind. We're already there. Not only do we have a reservation, he shoot that thing. He sees us sitting in the chair. Somebody say Amen. I mean, if not, I don't have to say you're Presbyterians. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, yeah. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. How wonderful is that? His grace is so sufficient that he sees me at the table already. It gets better. It gets better. Our teaching point says this. Know that seated is past tense. God sees us as if we're already there. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But here's one more for you, verse 7, verse 7. So God, that happens, for he raised us from the dead on Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ so that, so that, so God can point to us in all future ages. Somebody say future ages. Uh, That's good up here in front row. Everybody say in future ages. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, God can point to who? Us. God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. Now, this is so cool. So, you get to heaven, and let's presuppose, based on this verse, that God is going to point out His wealth and His grace. He's not going to look to all the magic, He's not going to look to Mount Everest and and the Himalaya mountains and go, there's an example of my grace and, and power. Okay, he, he's not going to, remember we talked about Sombrero Galaxy last year, or last week, remember? 250 billion stars, a zillion, zillion, zillion light years from here, still created to proclaim the glory of God. He's not going to point to Sombrero Galaxy out there and say, that's how I, I want you to see that because that talks about my greatness. He's not even going to look at the angels. He's not going to say, here's my angel crew. They proclaim, they show my greatness. No. You know he's going to point to? Us. This is so clear. This is not me manipulating Scripture. As examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Forever and ever and ever and ever. We're seated at the table uh, uh, with the Lord Jesus and with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We're there, okay? And forever and ever, a couple of things are going to happen. We're going to have one whale of a worship time. And and forever and ever, God the Father is going to say, these guys are all examples of my grace. That's what it says. Do, am I manipulating Scripture? Isn't that, do you not find that amazing? That forever and ever, ever, God's going to look, these are examples of my grace. Hey, Charlene, have you all met Charlene? She's an example of my grace. Have you met Linda Guest over here? Yeah, she's an example of my grace. Hey, Brent was an example of my grace. On and on through all eternity, God points and says, "This is an example of my greatness and my grace." That's how amazing His grace is, and that's how much He loves us. Incredible. What's our nice teaching point say? Throughout the ages to come, by our presence and our stories, we will sing and testify of his grace and greatness toward us. Amazing. So if you're here today, and it's past tense for you, you once were here, that means you've trusted Christ as your Savior. I hope you leave today going, oh my goodness, we are so blessed just by his grace. You know, if God chooses to give you not a dollar more, we are so blessed. Just Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And if you're here today, Maybe somebody invited you to lunch. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Maybe Facebook, and you're going, I'm going to tune in today. I know this religious stuff. I don't even believe it. Don't believe in God anymore. Somehow this has rung your bell. And you're going, wait a minute. If this is true, I don't want to miss this. I mean, this is not the God I've been told about. The God I was talking about, said, say, if you don't keep the rules, I'll, I'll zap you with lighten, lightning. You know, that's, that's not the God, see? It's not the God. But you've got to make a choice to not choose is to choose. And to not choose Jesus is the wrong decision. And again, I want to say it clearly, hell is real. It was not created for you, it's not created for me, it's created for the devil's angels, but any person who refuses to let Jesus atone for their sins, they must be held accountable for that sin, and that means eternal separation from God. But it's a choice. Today God invites you to the table. And my friend Brent will be standing down front and we would love to tell you how you can have forgiveness of your sins and come into relationship with God. Now, it was interesting. Um, a, f- a friend and a member of our church came up after church. She had this smile on her face. It was Lynn. It was a, oh, no, Tom. Leanne. I almost called her Linda. Leanne DeNeal. She says, Brother Dwayne, I just love fact-checking. I, I think I found some holes in your story. I said, "What is that?" You know, and I won't take your time to make a long story. Um, but anyway, she had while I was while I was preaching, <laughs> she's looking it up on the internet, and it turns out turns out that there are a couple of versions of that story. One from the Smithsonian Institute is that mm-hmm, he refused the pardon. John Marshall held it up, said, "A pardon without receiving the pardon is his piece of paper," and he was hung and executed. But then there's another story. I'm not sure how strong the source is. I'm a, she sent the link to me. But that he, even though he didn't receive that pardon, they allowed him to live. And then 10 years later, he received another pardon from another president. Well, we don't know. We're left to wonder. And I'm only telling you that for this reason. If I were to ask you today, do you know where you spend eternity when the last heartbeat comes? Do you know where you spend eternity? And you say, I, I hope so. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want you to hope so. Maybe. I want you to know. And I believe, listen, this book, proven by time, this book says we can know. And again, if you today, we always conclude our service with a time of decision. And if you don't know and you want to know for sure, we've got some folks who will talk with you. And tell you what the Bible says. We won't give you the Baptist dogma. We won't give you what the Baptists think. We'll tell you what this book says. This timeless, precious thing we call the Word of God, because it is. And we'd be glad to share that with you. Don't be a George Wilson. Know for sure. Know for sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing today these great truths. Father, I pray, and first I want to just pray on behalf of people that, like me, who have trusted Jesus. We know, and we're grateful for that, but we needed to hear it again and again and again. we got to live grateful lives. we got to live grateful lives, because when we live grateful lives, we're generous. We do shoeboxes. We do shoeboxes. Father, help us to be generous. Believers in Christ, but I pray for my friends that might be here or listening on Facebook, who have never trusted Christ, and and they may have a zillion reasons why they haven't done that. I'm sure George Wilson had a zillion reasons why he rejected the pardon. But I pray today it'll make sense. I pray you'll push through the excuses and get to the heart, and let them make the decision put their faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for paying it all. All to you we owe. Sin had left this dark stain on us, but you made us white as snow. So speak to hearts, Holy Spirit. In Jesus, I pray in your name.